Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this episode number 178 here on Rise Up LFA TV. And thank God he has been so good to me. Thank God he's been so good to all of us. No real reason to have to get up and thank God. No specific reason other than for everything. What do I thank God for in the morning, Jeremy? Everything. And when you realize how good that he has been, is being, and will be because of his promises, and he can't lie, you just get this overwhelming sense of joy and peace that nothing on earth can give you. Nothing that you seek on this earth will ever give you that peace and that joy that you feel when you can understand that everything that is good comes from him. Your breathing comes from him. Even when you're experiencing hardships or or natural disasters, there's still good in all of that. And And if you can thank him, you must thank him. I've already seen the links from Are You Wild. Thank you very much. I've, you might think that buying your first home as a young couple gives you that feeling. It doesn't. You might think getting your first brand new car gets you that feeling. It doesn't. You might think that having sex with people that you really, really, really find attractive and, and that you, you just, you want to give into your desire of the flesh. You might think you get that feeling. It, you don't. What about on your wedding day? One of the most amazing days next to having children and the day you find God, obviously the most important day or the day God finds you, you're the one lost. Your wedding, the birth of your child, buying a home, buying a car, having sex, drinking and drugging, running around, doing whatever you want. Nothing on this Earth can give you that feeling. And that's why we thank God for being so good to us. I've had kids. I've done drugs. I've drank. I've partied. I've performed. I bought a house. Been married. Bought a car. None of it. None of it meets that feeling. And like I said, yesterday before I came on air, I got this overwhelming, I mean, more than I ever have in my life, This sense of joy and peace. God was dwelling with me so much yesterday before the show. I didn't even want to start the show. I didn't even want to give it up. So I didn't give it up. I just transferred that into doing the show. Large says, the birth was the most amazing feeling in my life. Completely changed my life. You talking about the rebirth? Or the birth of of your child? Because even the birth of your child does not give you the joy and peace that the feeling of being with Jesus in lockstep gives you. Logan says, you look good, Jeremy. I'll tell you why. Because I've been getting eight hours plus of sleep a night for like the last week and a half. Never in my life have I even got six hours of sleep. I'm just one of those people that want to operate on four hours of sleep. I have my whole life, five hours of sleep. But ever since I've been getting eight hours of sleep, the Bible tells you to get your rest, and I think it's for a reason. The Bible tells you to fast, and I think it's for a reason. Do you know there's a new study out that says that you can increase your life by about, what was it? You increase the chances by 40% of living past 70 or 80 or something like that if you fast regularly in your life. Now, I don't remember the exact stat, but it was like you have a 40% chance of in, uh, uh, you increase your, your uh, 
life by 40% after the age of, I think it was 70 or 75, if you fast. God willing, you live that long. But yeah, the sleep is impossible. I always thought, you know when you, you hear those people say, oh, sleep is for the dead. Not if you're a Christian because you don't stay dead. That's a good, by the way, that's a good way to answer somebody that says sleep is for the dead, not for a Christian. Daryl says rest extends your life. I truly believe it. Like I said, with the mixture of field of greens, uh, magnesium, a CBD when I need it for aches and pains, natural stuff, and then just regular sleep thanks to magnesium. I'm telling you guys, I feel like I'm more in tune with God than I ever have been. I feel like, you know, it's, it's almost like this. Before I started getting the rest that you should get, you know when you're on a call and it's a bad and it's a, you're in a bad area and it's you're connected but you're you're not getting everything. You're like I can hear you but I didn't hear that last part. Well, if you're not getting the appropriate amount of rest, uh, it's like trying to have a conversation with God going through a bad area on a cell phone. Once you get the appropriate amount of rest, it's like you got a crystal clear call. Like you're, like you're right in the same room with them. That's, how, that's just how I feel lately. So, uh, Ruth says, I love the newsletter. Well, thank you, Ruth. I titled today's show, Christ versus Corruption. And I have a, a verse of the Bible um, from a book of the Bible that I've never read before on Rise Up. So we're going to get into that today. Christ versus Corruption. Now, you either have one or the other in your life. What do you mean, Jeremy? Everything from the devil is corrupt. Everything from God is pure. You're either of Christ or you're of corruption. It's that simple. Christ or corruption, which one are you? Now, as you are a corrupt, evil individual... And as you walk in your journey with Jesus, let's say this is your corruption level, way up here. See, it's even above the frame. And say you, you, you decide, I want a journey with Jesus. I'm seeking. And say at that moment, your walk with Jesus is right here. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you walk with God, this happens. You start balancing out the scales. And your level of corruption and evil goes way down. Matter of fact, it goes down fast. And your level of, you know, walking in Christ and purity goes way up. This corruption level goes from corruption to allowing in sin once in a while. Fully corrupt, allowing in sin once in a while. Now, if you could get to the point where you never allowed sin in, you wouldn't need Jesus. That's not possible. That's not possible. That's the exact reason why we need Jesus. And that's why we're thankful. Because we're all corrupt individuals. Every one of us from birth, we are corrupt individuals. Now here's a question for you. Are we corrupt in the womb? Are we corrupt at conception? I don't think we are. Now, this isn't me saying 100% we are not in sin in the womb. Because if we are growing in a sinful person, maybe sin is born there. But I believe sin comes once you're born into this world. You're born into sin. That's why they say born into sin. And you must be born again. We're born into sin. I don't think you're... I don't think you're corrupted at conception. Conception is so beautiful. It's like the Big Bang. Let there be light. Oh, you're right, American nanny. The sinner doesn't stay dead either. Otherwise, they wouldn't suffer in hell. That's a good point. Thank you for saying that. I believe we must be corrupt in the room. We kick our mother in the belly. Yeah, I think a mother might say that, right? The Bible says we are born into sin. That's why I believe it's once you're into this world. You're right. 
Once you enter the world, you're in sin. And then you must be born again to get this corruption out of you. So Christ or corruption. Let me read for you the description of the show, just in case you didn't read it. Why don't we believe in God's promises? Every time you worry about something, ask yourself that question. Let me say it again, because we all do it. Every time you worry or have anxiety over something, you know, like when people are talking about the possibility of Donald Trump being assassinated, which is a very real thing that we should definitely be proactive, not reactive on. But why are we worried about that? Why are we worried when we have God's promises? Why do we worry about what's going to happen tomorrow in our lives if we have God's promises to be patient and that he's going to bring you through it? I think that's a question all of us have to ask ourselves. Why do we not believe in God's promises? Why do we worry about the corruption that is tainting everything we ever loved and ever knew? God has destroyed these people time and time again. Why do you think we're so different? And I'm not talking about us, the believer, I'm talking about the corrupted people that are oppressing the people of the nation, that are enslaving the people of the nation. It's happening right now in our nation. And time and time and time again, as long as the people of the nation turn their gaze to God and turn to him during the time of trials and tribulation, then God promises that he will not turn his gaze from them. And every single time, not on their time, not on our time, not when we get upset, not when we get impatient, not when we get anxiety. But when God is ready, he destroys these corrupted people that administer this kind of evil on the people of a nation time and time again, if the people of the nation turn to God. Of course, he will continue to do this from nation to nation. As long as the people of the nation turn to him, as long as you turn to him, he will always hold you safe in his arms. This is a promise of his, not mine. This isn't me saying, hey, everybody, you should become a Christian because it's great because of this. No, these are promises from God. I'm just echoing them. It's time to be bold in the word of God. And understand that what is happening right now needs to happen to purify our nation. So join me in spreading the gospel, not gossip, today. Majorva said, Jeremy, yesterday you brought me to tears when you think you'll be arrested or killed. It's scary, and I pray God will continue to cover you in the armor of God. Please continue to pray for Jeremy and Trump and other people. But here's the difference. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of what they will or what they plan to do against me because I have God's promise. Even if they do take me out of this equation, They're just making me, like they do Trump, a martyr, and the promise will still continue. I don't have to be at the end in order for God's promise to be revealed. I don't have to be at the finish line in order for all of you to be at the finish line. God's promise isn't to keep a single person alive. God's promise is to usher in purity and peace and joy to a nation that turns to him, regardless of who's at the finish line. There's only one person at that finish line, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only name to remember. Because I, I only got one life to live. How did every second point to this? Only Jesus. That's the promise. And the promise has already been fulfilled. We don't have to worry. We just have to stay vigilant and do what we can do. No, excuse me. Do what God wills us to do from the minute we put our feet on that floor out of bed to the minute that we take our feet 
off the floor and then through the night. I'm not saying don't pray for me. I'm not saying don't pray for Trump. I'm not saying don't pray for our nation. That's how we fight our battles. But what I'm saying is, regardless of what happens to me or Donald Trump or whatever, turn to God. This nation will be saved. Corruption will be purified. That's what I'm saying. You know how I told you that when I first started my journey with Jesus, I had so many questions trying to call the Bible a hypocrite, trying to prove Christians wrong. I had so many questions, but not because I really wanted to know the answer. More along the lines, I wanted to prove Christians wrong. I wanted to prove the Bible wrong, like Lee Strobel. So I'd ask my wife, well, if this is the case, condescendingly, I would ask, then how come this? Ha! And my wife, being a very wise individual, because our wives are usually smarter than us in a lot of ways. That's hard to admit, but it's the truth. My wife would just say two words to me every single time. I'm pretty sure you guys know the story. She would say, Keep reading. Why? Well, I would say, well, the Bible isn't going to answer that specific question. This question is more earthly question, not a biblical question. I doubt that if I keep reading, I'm going to get the answer to my question. I'd get so angry. And my wife would look at me with that look that only wives can give their husband is, you better, st- better shut up. Don't talk to me like that. Because I'd get all heated, you know. And she'd say it again. Keep reading. And I would do that. I would keep reading. I would listen to my wife. Because, you know, happy wife, happy life. But also, I was curious. But I was curious for the wrong reasons. But what, what, but what happened? I kept reading, and the word of God spoke to me and answered all my questions that I ever had. And the questions that I had that weren't answered, my answer was, those questions are not relevant. What do you mean they're not relevant? I want to know the answer. I, I, I demand an answer to that question. God says it's not relevant. In time, you'll get the answer to that question. But right now, I'm giving you all the answers you need. And I would get upset. And I would get upset. But guess what I'd do? I'd keep reading. I told producer Eli yesterday, the Bible is very different than any other book on planet Earth. Different than the Quran. Different than any of the other things I can't pronounce. Because it's a living, breathing document. It is an inspired word of God. It cannot die. It cannot be purged out of existence. It cannot be burned. It cannot be stopped. It is the word of God manifest on paper, but it is alive. If you can tell me that the word of God is not alive just because it's in a book on a piece of paper, then I would say, then how can I be alive when I came from the dirt? At least, at least paper came from trees. That are living, giving us oxygen and shade. You mean to tell me because the words of God are on a piece of paper that they're not alive, but yet you sit, you think I'm alive and I came from dirt? Get out of here. You're not going to make me believe that anymore. Why? Because I kept reading. And I urge you to do the same. Nobody that I know outside of like, like I said, Lee Strobel or somebody like that. Nobody I personally know set out to prove the Bible wrong more than I did. But boy, did I, boy, was I wrong. Oh, obviously. 
It is a living, breathing word of God that cannot be destroyed. And that's why God says, basically in so many words, no Bible, no breakfast. The word of God needs to go into your soul far more than food needs to go into your belly every morning. It is a very life-changing thing to read. And you know, I wish everybody, even people who didn't believe in the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac, the God of King David, the father of Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, even if people do not believe in any of that and hate that, I urge you to read from beginning to end And tell me you're not a changed person. Read it with an open mind. Have questions. God wants you to come to him boldly with questions, especially if you are being transferred from an earthly being to a spiritual being. Jeremy, did you meet your wife in church? No, I didn't. I I met my wife in sin. I met my wife in sin. God used our kids to help us find our way to Christ. Now, I know I've told this story before, but let me just quickly tell you again. Regardless of the fact that my wife and I did not believe in God and were born into sin, it's not that we didn't believe in God, we just weren't Christians. We were agnostics. But we made the conscious decision for our children because we wanted a better life for our children to send them to church, to take them to church on Sundays. Not because we wanted them to believe in God or because we wanted to believe in God, but because we knew that at the very least, church would set a good foundation of truth and morality and give a moral compass that schools and maybe even we couldn't give. So we decided... Let's take our kids to church. And if they, if they become 18 and think, hey, I do not want to believe in God, that's their right to do so. But let's just see if this works because what everybody else is doing isn't working. What we're doing isn't working. So we did. But that was God using precious, innocent, wonderful children to bring the parents to Christ. And it was only a matter of time and the word of God literally broke through that hard exterior and convicted us in no time. Grammy Love says, can you explain what an agnostic is? An agnostic is somebody who believes that there is a higher power, that there is a source of all creation, but they don't know what it is and they don't believe specifically that it is the God of the Bible, Yahweh, um, Father of Jesus. That's what an agnostic is. Where an atheist believes that we all came from nothing and that we were one single-celled organisms that actually, I don't know, evolved out of chaos of something blowing up in space and all of a sudden, an earth is formed and life is formed and then we crawled out of the ocean as single-celled organisms with little tails and then we grew into humans with opposable thumbs and became, you know, what we are today. That's what an atheist believes. An atheist believes in the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Which is weird because they're the ones that will tell you to believe in science. But again, they believe in the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. An agnostic believes that something created everything. They just don't know what it is. And a Christian is right. (laughs) That's the best way to explain it. They're all wrong and a Christian is right. Not because I want to be. Because it is. It's just two plus two is four, right? You're never going to get me to believe two plus two is five. Because I know that's not true. And you're never going to get me to believe that the God of the Bible is not real because I know that's not, I know that's not true. You're the one that's confused and that sucks for you. I wish I could help. Do you have any questions? No. Then keep living in sin. Keep living in darkness. Keep living in loneliness. Keep living in depression. Keep living with no hope. Keep living with an an expiration date.
Now, as we have 1,500 people watching, I want to go back to Frank Turek today. But before I go back to Frank Turek, now we were watching some of Frank Turek yesterday, and I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, um, I'm going to see if I can't get Ray Comfort on for episode number 200. I'm going to see if Frank Turek can come on. But I wanted you, and in case, and Frank will come on as a, as a guest anyway at some point, but I want you, you're familiar with Ray. For those who are not familiar with Frank, I want you to become familiar with Frank. Three, individual, three and a half individuals are responsible. <laughs> three and a half human beings, I should say, get the credit for helping me along my journey with Jesus. If we're talking about outside of Jesus, which is all we need, there, are, there, are, there is human support that we also need as fellowship. Ken Ham, Ray Comfort, Frank Turek. The half was Joel Olstein. And we're not going to get into that today. But those three full individuals, Frank Turek, Ray Comfort, and Ken Ham, they mean the world to me. Without them, I don't know where I would be here on earth as a Christian. I don't know if I'd be as far as I am. I don't know if I'd be farther. I don't know. What I do know is that I appreciate them. Oh, Will Johnson. Yeah. yeah. How can I forget? Four and a half. Because Will Johnson was the first one to teach me that it's okay to pray however you want to pray. And we prayed together online. Yeah, how can I forget my, my, uh, my, my own John the Baptist, right? Paving the way for me to get to Christ. Yes, Nick is right. If you really have never seen A Case for Christ, I think you should watch it. I think every atheist or self-proclaimed agnostic should watch A Case for Christ. I have a couple videos I'd like to play for you right now. Let's play this one first. Christian is hard. Being a Christian and following Jesus in a world like today is hard. If somebody tells you that following Jesus is easy, they're wrong. But if somebody tells you that following Jesus is worth it, they're absolutely correct. Because following Jesus is the best decision I've ever made in my life. Being a Christian is hard. So, the reason I played that for you is for this reason. Becoming a Christian is hard. Being a Christian is about the most pure, simple, and default mode that we are supposed to be in. And it's not hard at all. Once you actually hold Jesus' hand and you can embrace Jesus and give Jesus a hug whenever you want, then being a Christian is not hard. Not hard. So I, I, I agree and I disagree with that young man in that. And that's why I wanted to play that for you today. Because I have never, since my journey with Jesus, I have never felt like it's hard to follow him. It's actually very easy to stop sinning, too, if you mention the name of Jesus when you're getting ready to, to, to commit that sin. If you say, Jesus, come into my life, please help me, uh, stop me from making this decision, he'll do it, and it's that easy. But I think coming to Christ, coming to Christ is hard. It was for me because I just pushed back so much. I just pushed back so much. Now there's really nothing more easy in my life than to just wake up and be in the presence of God. You ask for it when you wake up and you thank for it on the, on, when you go to bed. It's, it's, it's that easy. But dying, dying as, a, as, a, uh, as an earthly flesh individual, that, that process to me being on the side of an interstate, dying as to who I was, that part's hard. I'm going to I'm going to be honest with you. That was not easy for me. Maybe that's a different story for you. I don't presume to know how your journey with Jesus has been, but that's how I look at it. Now, here's another video I wanted to show you. I really like this one. Pop it on the screen here. Here we go. This is a bad dude, bro. The greatest being to ever come to this earth, the most perfect being to go through things a million times 
worse than what you and I will ever go through. As he's hanging up on that cross, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. After having the crown of thorns, being whipped, being betrayed by one of his friends, going through excruciating pain, he still chose to love, bro. I felt that it was impossible for me to go through what I went through. Angel went the greatest of all went to go through. And he did it with such grace. So why can't I do that? Jesus. And he did it with such grace. Yeah, Mazzy Paws, I don't care for him anymore either. I'm just saying that was a part at one time hearing some of his messages that helped bring me uh, to, to God. So I don't I don't really, you know, put a big thank on on Joel, but I'm just answering Mazzy's question. Um, and the fact that he did it with such grace, like I told you the other day, he didn't even scream for them to stop. He didn't scream in agony to have them take that away from him. He just took it. I, truly incredible. Truly incredible. All right, before we slack on our books anymore, we've been, we have been on Rise Up. I don't know if you've noticed, but the last few Rise Ups, we've not even touched our books. Not even touched them. But before we do, get into one-minute prayer for dads. Get your one-minute prayer for dad books ready. Uh, I'd like to thank Rosa. Rosa sent me four of these. Now, each one of these is a different book of the Bible. This is Luke 3, or a different book and chapter. This is Luke 3. This is breaking down. This whole book is breaking down surrounding really Luke 3, but really Luke as a major, major author of, uh, of one of, the, of, one of the, the most incredible and intriguing books of the New Testament. You guys got to understand Luke, okay? Luke was known as the beloved physician. Luke was also a historian. He was also a writer. He was also basically a reporter or journalist. Everything he did was so precise. So precise in his writings that when they were putting together the books of the Bible, Luke was one of the most verified pieces of writing ever to exist, if not the most verifiable piece of writing ever to exist. There is zero possibility that you can even that you could debunk anything that Luke said. And because there's zero physical earthly possibility for you to be able to rebuke or change anything that Luke said, then that means by default there is zero possibility that you can debunk the Bible. Because everything Luke said in this in in, in that he wrote ever was verified by Thousands of different people from thousands of different worlds, from thousands of different um, societies that knew the writings of Luke to be true and that all came together, that never even read scriptures that were put together, came and verified it by basically saying it word for word. This book, this is, um, this is James Burton Kaufman's commentaries and Rosa sent me like four of these. She's going to send me more. I've never seen I've never read anything so amazing as I'm as, as what I'm reading in this book just so you know. Just so you know. Ashley, we are so grateful that your power is back on. We're going to send you a check today to replenish all your food. God bless you. We love you and praise God your power is back on. They have a list. They have a list of them. Thank you for your prayers for my brother. Just got home. God bless you. All the miracles Luke wrote about. Exactly. And he, um, he's so specific. M.W. Stutler says, Jeremy, the day I broke my neck in a surfing accident and I was face down in the water and called on God and he showed me he was real, I was saved by God. PC Free says, I love reading my Bible personally, but my personal favorite is reading Paul's writings. 
And, 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 and again, in Luke, it explains how close Luke and Paul were. Like, think about, think about this. Think about all of the um, physical pain that Paul must have been in. Being beat, being whipped, being chained up, being locked up, being freed, being persecuted constantly. He had a lot of physical ailments. And that is why Luke is known as the beloved physician. Because he tended to those ailments. And even Paul will say the, how, the accuracy of Luke's writings are phenomenal. Phenomenal. I want you to turn to page 162 of One Minute Prayer for Dads. A dad's dark night of the soul is, how, is, what, this is what this is titled. A dad's dark night of the soul from Psalm 30, 5. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Most dads endure at least one dark night of the soul. But they must never endure it alone. God will often send others to stand by them, or perhaps because they have had such an experience, send them to stand by another dad who's enduring a dark night. If others are not with you during dark nights of the soul, certainly God walks with you. Never fear during those dark nights. Rejoicing comes in the morning, folks. Do not fear where we're heading as a country because rejoicing will come in the morning. Do not fear or have anxiety about what the corrupted people in this country are doing to all of us. Turn to Christ. It's either Christ or corruption. Don't be the, don't be the latter. Be the former. Nikki says, God given me so much. Just celebrated my 50th birthday. Please use where needed and donated $25. Well... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nikki. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you and thank you. Ruby, that is so very sad. Ruby lost her 13-year-old pup 10 days ago. And she cries and she talks to God. He gives me peace and said the pain will turn to joy. Incredible. Incredible. Turn to Christ. And I guarantee you, we will rejoice in the morning in this country, in your life. Dear God, fatherhood sure has its ups and downs. I love the ups, but the downs tear at my soul. They hurt, surely. You know that more than I do. It was a dark night of the soul when your son was crucified at the hands of men whom you yourself created. Thank you, Lord, that your dark night of the soul brought rejoicing on the morning of resurrection. Lord, I long for this present dark night to end soon. Bring about resurrection, redemption, resolution. Give me strength to hang on until I can once again rejoice in the morning. In the description of this video, I told you everything that's happening needs to happen. Do you think that the disciples, if you went back in time, do you think that if they could prevent Jesus from dying, they would have tried? Of course they would have tried, but they, they, would, have, they would have failed the rest of us. They would have failed humanity. They would have failed God had they stopped that from happening. I cry at the thought of Jesus suffering for my well-being and my salvation every single day. I say to myself, if I could go back in time and I was standing right there next to Jesus and instead of the man who had to help Jesus carry that cross, if I had to help Jesus carry that cross, would I have tried to save him or would I have let it happen? Now, every part of my being says save him. If I was sitting there watching Jesus be whipped, if I took a magic time machine and went back in time and watched Jesus be literally scourged, whipped, beat, spit on, kicked, and tortured for my well-being, my flesh might kick in and I might want to save him, but I would be doing a disservice to God. 
everything that happened to Jesus needed to happen for you and everything that is happening in this country to all of us from the corrupted evil people everything that's happening to Donald Trump who is an anointed man to help fight back to help fight back the evil and purify this nation whether you believe that or not everything that is happening needs to happen and nobody is more sure of that than Trump himself he says I need one more indictment to secure this election Listen to the man. Stop worrying. Start fighting. Or what was the saying? Stop worrying, start worshiping. Every day, I see the same people in here going, I can't take any more of this. I can't see this anymore. I can't believe what they're doing to Donald Trump. This has to stop now. I'm here to tell you, no, it doesn't. Because if it stops now, we do not fulfill the promise and the plan of God. So if you have any message from me today, if you take away anything from me today, it's simply this, stop it. The plan is playing out exactly as God wants the plan to play out. Not Q, not me, not you, not anybody else. And I'm not mad right now. Jeremy, why are you screaming? Why are you so angry? I'm not mad. I'm happier than a pig in slop. I am letting the Holy Spirit tell you with passion to stop it. We are not to prevent Donald Trump from going through his trials. God's bringing him through these trials so that he can rejoice in the morning and have the power and the ability and the heavenly wisdom to be able to do what comes next. Because if you think it's bad now, wait until he starts locking these people up, which he promised to do yesterday. Jeremy, he promised to hot lock up Hillary Clinton and never did that either. I understand that. But he was giving them mercy. He was giving them grace. He said, this isn't what we do in America. And now they're doing it to him. So he was asked yesterday, will you finally lock these people up? You promised you'd do it before and you didn't. Is it time? He says, you have to. You have to. Because they're doing it to all of us. You have to. I don't know how much more passionate I could get about this subject. But this is what God's telling me to tell you. You don't need me to tell you not to fear. It tells you that 365 times in the Bible. C3R3BRFLXY and Z says, no, he never said that in capital letters. I don't know what you're talking about. You're assuming Trump was giving mercy. Yeah. I'm assuming that because he said that out of his own mouth. I don't just say things to say things here. Yes, he did say that we don't do that in America. He just said it yesterday. He said, I didn't do that because I said we don't do that in America. But they're doing it to us, so we have to. Let's go watch some Frank Turk for a few minutes. Evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Well, good evening, Grace. How many people were here last week or were somewhere else at the time? All right, how many of you are here now? How many don't respond to surveys? Three out of 10 don't respond to surveys, Pastor Chip. Some of you may have heard me tell this true story before, but it bears repeating right now. Let's go all the way back to September 29th, 2006. That's when Petty Officer Michael Monsor is the United States Navy SEAL operating in Ramadi, Iraq. Mansoor is standing on a roof in Ramadi, and he's standing in front of a doorway to this roof. He has two Navy SEAL teammates lying in the sniper-prone position next to him. They've already taken AK-47 fire and a rocket-propelled grenade, but they're not exactly sure where the enemy is. 
there's a bit of a lull in the fighting. Insurgents have blocked off the streets in Ramadi, and there's someone on the loudspeaker in the town mosque yelling, kill the Americans. As Mansour and his team are looking for the next attack, an insurgent from an unknown location throws a grenade up on the roof. It hits Mansour in the chest, and it falls to his feet. Due to the length of the throw, there's no opportunity to pick it up and throw it back. He has only a split second to make a decision. He can leap through the doorway behind him and save himself, but if he does, his two teammates lying on the roof at his feet will surely die. Mansoor yells, Grenade! But instead of jumping backward to save himself, he jumps forward chest first onto the grenade. It detonates. 30 minutes later, 25-year-old Michael Monsor is dead. His two teammates receive only minor injuries because Monsor's body muffled the blast. One of the survivors at, Monfor- at Monsor's funeral said, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you will not take my friends, I will go in their stead. Wow. I've never seen a United States president cry until April of 2008. That's when President George W. Bush invited Monsoor's parents into the East Room of the White House to give them their son's Medal of Honor posthumously. The president couldn't even get through the citation without breaking down. Since then, Monsoor's high school in Garden Grove, California, built a new stadium. They named it Michael A. Monsoor Memorial Stadium. The golden trident insignia that the seals wear dominates the 50-yard line. January 2019, San Diego, California, North Island to be specific, the United States Navy commissioned the USS Michael Monsoor the newest guided missile destroyer in the fleet, Zumwalt class. This is Monsoor's mother, Sally, being escorted onto the ship named in honor of her fallen son. Now, why did they do this? Because Michael Monsoor literally sacrificed himself to save his friends. There's no greater love than to sacrifice yourself to save your friend, said Jesus of Nazareth before he went to the cross. Amen. Amen. Michael Monsor sacrificed himself to save his friends. The question is, would anyone sacrifice himself to save you? Or your enemy. And the answer is, someone already has. Amen. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. But in today's culture, a lot of people don't think the story's true. They think it's invented. After all, these are religious people. They embellished this, didn't they? And by the way, it's got miracles in it, like a resurrection. How can you believe in such a thing like a resurrection? We don't see miracles anymore. Well, I actually think it's really easy to show that Christianity is true. You only need to answer four questions in the affirmative to show that it's true. In other words, if you investigate these four questions, I think you'll realize that the answer to these four questions is yes, and if the answer to these four questions is yes, then Christianity is true. What are the four questions? Here are the four questions. Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament true? about the resurrection. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, we don't have time to go through all these, obviously, here tonight. We cover that in the book. But yes, last week, we covered a little bit of point two, and we talked about the moral argument for the existence of God. We saw that yesterday. Tonight, however, I want to jump down here to the final point, is the New Testament true? In fact, in previous years here at Grace, we've gone through some of these other points. But tonight, I just want to point out that the evidence for the New Testament being true is very good, particularly being true about one event from the ancient world. What's that event? The resurrection. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, game over, Christianity is true. Of course, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, 
game over, it's false. You might as well sleep in on Sunday. Well, you guys are up at Saturday, it doesn't matter. And do what you want the rest of the week because if God doesn't exist and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity's false. So what's the evidence we have that it's really true? What is the evidence that the New Testament writers are telling the truth about this? There are several lines of evidence. In fact, in the book, we have the top 10 reasons we know the New Testament writers told the truth. We're just going to briefly look tonight at two of them. The first we're going to look at is something called embarrassing stories. Embarrassing stories. What are embarrassing stories? And why would we talk about embarrassing stories? Well, historians know that if they're investigating a text and there's something embarrassing to the author or authors in the text, it's probably true. Now, why would it be true? Because you're never going to invent details or stories that make you look bad. You might invent things that make you look good, right? But you're not going to invent things that make you look bad. In fact, let me ask you guys a question in here. How many people in here have ever lied to make yourself look good? Look, if you don't have your hand up right now, you're lying to make yourself look good. And it's not working. We know you're lying. All right, how many people in here have ever lied to make yourself look bad? You don't do that, right? You might lie to make yourself look good, but you won't lie to embarrass yourself. Well, the New Testament writers, this is true of the Old Testament as well, but the New Testament writers have filled the New Testament with embarrassing stories they never would have invented. That's why we're calling this the duff factor. They're not (laughs) making this up. Let me just give you a few of these. Notice. The New Testament writers depict themselves as as dim-witted. I mean, they don't even understand Jesus's mission. You're reading through the Gospels, you're going, they're going, we didn't know what Jesus was saying. We didn't know what he was talking about. It's not until he's already resurrected and ascended to heaven do they understand what Jesus really, his mission was. It's only then that they go, wow, I could have had a V8, right? Up to that point, they don't get it. That's embarrassing. Also, their leader, Peter, is called Satan by Jesus. Do you think they invented this? Do you think Peter or Mark, who wrote this down, at one point said to Peter, hey, Pete, I'm going to make this a real interesting story. I'm going to have the Lord call you Satan. (laughs) What do you think Peter would have said? (laughs) Have him call you Satan. I mean, why is he calling me Satan? I'm the leader here. This is embarrassing. And then Peter says, oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. What does he wind up doing? He denies him three times. And then at the crucifixion, all the disciples, maybe with the exception of one, they all run away. This is like a Monty Python movie. Run away. They all run away. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to stop it right there because tomorrow on Friday, we are actually going to watch pretty much the rest of this by Frank Turek and follow that up by Ray Comfort. But right now, we're running short of time. And we do have to get ready to go. So I'll take you out the same way I brought you in with some great Christian worship music. I love each and every one of you. Tomorrow is going to be a heck of a show. Do not miss tomorrow's Rise Up. God bless all of you. God bless the people in Florida. God bless the people in Georgia going through these hurricanes. God bless the people of the country and the world who are being oppressed at the hands of corruption. But I urge you, turn to Christ today. Thank you so much for being here on this rep episode 178. And uh, Sean Farish, Ungovered, comes up next, followed by Live from America. Have a great, great morning. You have been.